To those of you that don't know this about me, I am not a Native American. I was not born in the United States. In fact, I emigrated to the United States when I was six or seven, I don't remember, 91. Right after the Berlin Wall fell and the USSR, which was the United Socialist Republic, aka communists, broke up. Now, when the USSR was together, it occupied most of what Russia is now, and then some. So it had Ukraine, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, all the stands, and uh, it was huge. It was a big empire. When it broke up, it was a devastating time for Russia because what happens when there's a socialist republic or a communist government, the government owns everything. So the government owns the factories, the government owns the restaurants, the government owns the banks. Everything is owned by the government and people that work there, like the boss, for example, or like the head engineer for, let's say, a tank factory, is the boss and he commands the, the co-workers. When the USSR fell, the government disbanded and there was no government. So because the government owned everything, all of these places, literally everything, became without an owner. So what happens when the owner disappears? The person that's in charge assumes the position as the owner. So if I was the head engineer or if I was the executive whatever of the tank factory, when the government fell apart, I became the owner of this tank factory. I could continue making tanks. Everyone does their, what they're supposed to do. They're still going to get paid, but now I am the owner. And here I am, super lucky guy. But a few months later, maybe a few weeks in some cases, my door would open and in would come these gopniki, we call them in Russian, which is basically hoodlums. People from the outskirts of the city and the villages where there's cows, they don't speak fluent Russian, it's broken. It's just basically hoodlums. Gangsters. Not gangsters, but like bandits. Like motherfuckers that would rob trains badly, poorly. You know what I mean? Not Ocean's Eleven and the crew. You know, the door of the factories would swing open. These motherfuckers would come in with guns. And they say, who's the owner of this factory? I would proudly say, me. And then they would either shoot me. You know, and if I was lucky, they would just be like, you are no longer the owner. I am now the owner. Get the fuck out of here. Boom. So a lot of people died. It was a very dangerous time in Russia in the, in the early 90s, early to mid 90s. Actually, probably through 99, I would say it was pretty bad. Um, that's why a lot of people left because they didn't want to get killed. Because people, there's no government, so there's no police. There's nothing. There's just fucking, it's, it's a free for all. Could you imagine that in, in America right now if there was no cops? I think they tried that in Oregon for like 13 minutes. And then people were just like, no, please, please, God, no. <laughs> a car window got broken and nobody knew how to fix it. So in Russia, this shit was happening for years. So it was a pretty crazy fucking time. And this is around the time where I was there. This is when I was born. I was born in 1984 in Leningrad, which was still called Leningrad at the time. Now it's called St. Petersburg. Leningrad is obviously named after the leader communist, 1917 Bolshevik Lenin, who killed the Tsar and then became his thing. You know, People loved him. I don't know why, but whatever it is. So, you know, we emigrated. And as a child, I remember... Before the Soviet Union collapsed, they were like grasping at straws at the end to demonstrate that they had still had power and they were still a strong country and all this shit, but it was bullshit. So what they would have is every Saturday they would have something called demonstrations and it would be the Russian military 
rolling through, let's say, Park Avenue, equivalent of Park Avenue or Broadway or Fifth Avenue, whatever you want to call it, Ventura Boulevard, you know, Sunset Boulevard, with tanks, military personnel, you know, katushas, which is like these big missile vehicles, all this shit, demonstrating, you know, obviously sending this on the news so that the American spies would see this and say, holy shit, you know, Russia's still a superpower, but to those that really knew what was going on inside of these missiles and inside of the tanks was just hollow. They're all hollows or bullshit. They didn't actually have weapons. They just were demonstrating it to pretend that they did. So Soviet power is a myth, like the one guy said in that movie, The Good Shepherd. That was true. But it was so strict to the point where my parents or my family lived on Park Avenue with windows looking over this street called Nevsky Prospect where these demonstrations would happen and we weren't allowed to come out of our front door to see them to the point where my mom snuck me out to the roof made me climb a fence using a stick to stick through the holes in the fence so I could climb and I was like six years old just so I could see these tanks and these all these cool like you know, military stuff so not a lot of people could say that they did that you know I mean there's a few there's a few that could say more than that but not in America not in New Jersey there's not a lot of people that could say that on top of that, my parents got divorced because my dad beat my mom. And, you know, I witnessed this once, so I guess I was like a witness to trauma. There's definitely trauma that I had as a kid that I probably still need to work through. But fuck it, whatever. I'm almost 40 years old. I'm still alive, so it's okay. Just as long as I don't pass it on to my kid, which I kind of already started because I'm not with her mom anymore. <laughs> so when I moved here, it was a different ball game for me. Like, I had to adjust to American culture. I had to adjust to... American way of life and all these different things and being a kid it was an easier transition for me than if I was older but at the same time I don't know the impact that it had on me in the long run psychologically one thing I did learn how to do however is adapt now human beings in general are amazing adapting machines like you adapt so quickly that your adaptations soon become your crutches and then they soon become your your ball and chains so like I said on a previous episode, if you broke your arm and you couldn't reach your cereal in the top cupboard, so you moved all your cereal boxes down onto the, on the, you know, the tabletop, and then your arm got better and your boxes are still there. You adapted so much that you never put them back in the top cupboard, and now you're wondering why your house is messy. That's an exaggerated example, but it's similar to everything in life. One thing I've learned how to do is adapt, and one of the quickest way to adapt is to mold yourself to the people that are around you to fit in like a chameleon I never really had many friends I still don't but I have a lot of acquaintances like wherever I go if I've been there before people usually remember me but I don't know that like my brother says this to me all the time like anywhere I go I fucking say your name and like I get treated like a king because of you were there once when some shit what the fuck do you do how are you famous like this and I'm like, I don't know, I just kind of just, I guess I leave an impression on people. If you know me, if you've ever met me, you'd understand what he was talking about. Sometimes it's not the best, actually. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. Depends on who's remembering you, you know? I've had narcotics detectives remember me because I fucking talked shit to them and got away with it. And then later on, they were like, yeah, I know who this guy is. And I was like, fuck, you know? So I embraced that very much. And once I started realizing what I was doing and how I was doing it, I dove into it even deeper. And since then, I've made it a hobby to study people as much as I could, just because that's the one thing we have on this planet is each other, you know? What, what, what kind of person are you if you don't know the rest of the people that are on this planet with you? So as much as I can, I would try to, you know, 
psychologically build a profile on anyone that I wanted as quickly and as accurately as I could. <clears throat> and the more I did it, obviously, the better I got. I implemented change in my life always because that's really been my life before I could control it. And then I started controlling it and I continued to do that. Again, not the best thing, but also I think it's better than being stagnant. So the other day I was talking to somebody about um, looking at someone's uh, social media page, like someone's Instagram page or their Facebook page. And people tend to call this like internet stalking. Like, oh my God, you were stalking this chick. You were looking through her Instagram. And I disagree with that. I think stalking is when you stand outside of someone's window, you know, quite carefully masturbating in a bush so that you could see them change. That's stalking, okay? That's 100% stalking. That's fucked up and creepy. But if someone has pictures that, are, that they put up with their own volition on an Instagram page and I'm looking through these pictures, it's not considered stalking. It's considered looking through their fucking pictures. It's like you never really get an invite. Hey, why don't you come look at my Instagram page tonight? Like, you just, you know, like it doesn't happen. So people throw that word around too loosely, I think. However, that being said, me, personally, I could probably look through an Instagram page of someone that posts, let's say, once a week or two times a week. The more they post, the better, obviously, this um, gets. But I could look through maybe about three or four minutes of someone's Instagram page, and I could pretty much give you a basic psychological profile of the person as who they are, what they like, what they don't like, how they behave, you know, but anyone could do that. But the fact that I've been doing it since I was a kid, before I even knew that I was doing it, and now that I've you know, turned it into a hobby, I do it pretty well. I would say that within five minutes, I could probably tell you a lot about you and, and be like 99% right. Let's say, let's say 95% right. Now, out of those 95% right, I'm confident. Now, there's other things that I could tell you that's not in your pictures that now are educated guesses that are usually about 65% right like what you do in bed, how you are romantically, what you hate to eat, what you, di- what you dislike in other people. Things that pop up to me because I've been doing this for so long that I could pretty much match you to another profile that I have of someone else that fits it. So when they say reading people's minds, I could read your mind, they said. You know? When you read someone's mind, although it sounds like you would be prying into their head and then opening up a book that they didn't want you to open and reading the words on the book and kind of like hacking into their brain, so to speak. That's not actually how it works. The way to read someone's mind, truly read someone's mind, is you have to become the person as much as you can and then just think. So if I could magically turn myself into you mentally, physically, emotionally, and everything, Theoretically speaking, everything that I'm thinking about a topic, you would be thinking about the topic as well because I am you. And now everyone, they say everyone vibrates on different frequencies, blah, 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 blah. My voice now is a vibration from my throat that's going through this phone and into your ear and you're understanding it. Thoughts are also vibrations, but those thoughts are vibrations you can't see. We do call them vibes, and some people vibe and some people don't vibe. It's all real. It's all 100% scientifically proven, and it's a thing. So you should probably get on that if you don't know it yet. But the way to read someone's mind is you basically have to embody the person and then just as that person, think about a topic that you would want to think about as them. And that's why, particularly why, I am quite accurate at things that I you know, speculate. And the more time I spend with you, the more accurate my profile gets on you or a person. 
and I've always thought that it'd be, to be a big asset, but you know, I can't really say that out loud too much because people do really get freaked out. Like most psychics are not actual psychics, they're mostly mentalists. So they'll do what I'm ta- talking about, but like on a quicker level and a more general level. And then what they'll do is they'll ask probing questions and give probing statements to see how you would respond. And then they build upon that. So, and most people don't realize what the fuck is going on because they just, they're just so at awe about like, you know, my dead grandmother said hello. There are true psychics out there that do talk to the other side, that know things that there's no possible way that mentalists could know. But they're very, very far and few between. So I guess what I'm trying to say here is that, one, you should start practicing on how to do this with people. Because if you are not practicing on how to do this with people, I can 100% assure you that someone is practicing that on you. Probably me, if I know you. (laughs) And if not, whatever. And two, don't hold anything back. Because the more you hold back from someone like me, the more I know about what you're afraid of. The more you give to someone like me, the more I could pinpoint you to a psychological profile and kind of have you, like, you know, have, a, have my, put my finger on you, so to speak. If you hold too many things back and you're too withdrawn, I'm going to know more about you than I would if you let me know everything. You know what I mean? The best thing I would say to do is just give me too much information so that I'd be confused with what's true and what's not. That's the best way to battle somebody like that. In my opinion, I could be wrong though. And then again, again, I've always been wrong before. Like it's, it happens all the time, but it doesn't happen as often as it used to. And I would say more, more often than not, I'm right about things like this. So I noticed something today. Evergreen actually said, drop some wisdom on me, some wise knowledge that he rarely drops. Usually it's the other way around, and he'll he'll admit to that. But no, this time he taught me. He taught me two really, really big things. The other day I was making. We're poking fun at one of the co-workers, one of the newer guys that has like a, a somewhat of a physical deficiency. It's nothing crazy, but just like a, you know, he, he's multi-directional in terms of vision. Let's put it that way. And we were kind of like just, you know, shooting the shit, like poking fun at him without him knowing, you know. And Evergreen says, you know, you shouldn't do that because, you know, you never know you're going to have kids again. And I thought about it for a second. It's like, fuck, you're absolutely right. That's exactly how the universe works. And me making fun of the guy for being too short or having weird hands. I'm going to have a kid with weird hands and I'm going to have to fucking eat my words and so to speak. So I said, you know what? You're absolutely right. Thank you. I appreciate that. The day, comes, the day keeps going and then one of the, one of the loud mouths, uh, loud mouth bus boys comes over and says, you know, doesn't come over and say, hey, chef, I'm really hungry. Do you think I can have a burger, please? He comes over to me and he nods over to the boiler and says, burger. And I was like, what? So he does it again. And I was like, what do you want? You want a burger? And he goes, yeah, with an egg on it. And I was like, really? I was like, give me 20 bucks. And the guy's like, really? And I said, yeah, give me 20 bucks and I'll give, make you a burger. So the guy goes into his wallet, he pulls out 20 bucks and he puts it in my hand. I take that same $20 and I give it to the guy across the line there that distrib- distributes the meat to the boilers and say, you make this guy a burger. Here's 20 bucks. Guy grabs it quicker than anything, and he fucking says, how do you want your burger? The kid that just paid the 20 says, I want it with a fried egg on top. I say, okay. And then Evergreen, again, chimes in, and he goes, why the fuck does he have to pay for a burger? And then Turkey doesn't have to pay for a burger. Turkey's another guy that sometimes asks for burgers at the end of the night, and we make it for him 
line cooks do the same thing. I've, I've seen pretty much everybody in that restaurant eat a free burger because they wanted one, which is fine. It's not frowned upon. My prerogative was I didn't force him to pay the $20. I told him $20. He could have said, no, I'm not going to give you $20. May I please have a free one? And then I would have obliged because it's fine. But the fact that I said $20 and he gave it to me, well, what the fuck am I going to say? No, I don't want your money. I should have because the kid just had a kid. He's a nice guy, although he could be a dick, but whatever. It is what it is. I, w- I didn't touch the money other than giving it to the other guy. So I thought about it out loud, and I was like, you know what? I think I have 20 bucks in my jacket. He'll make the burger, and I'll just give him back the 20 A couple of minutes goes by. The payee comes over and says, where's my burger? I paid for it, and I type shit like, where the fuck is it? And uh, I said, it'll be out in a minute. And then I said out loud, if you, we can't do it in 30 minutes, it's free. And we'll give you the money back. Sure enough, the guy who I gave the 22 calls the guy that ordered the burger over. And he goes, here, man. He hands him back his $20 bill. To which I took a note immediately to put this in a podcast because that was a really, really good moment for me to experience because it was something awesome. And actually, the best part came right after. He gave him the 20 back. He goes, oh, thanks, man. He goes, he goes, how do you want your burger? And then the guy that originally said, I wanted my burger with an egg on it, now has changed his mind to, I don't care because it's free. I'm not going to make demands because it's free. I'm not going to still say, oh, I want an egg still, you know, which was another another big, big gut shot to my mushy bone because I was like, oh my God, this is, this is like beauty, there's beauty unfolding right in front of my eyes. You know, so, so I was playing the bad guy that took the money from the guy, from the poor kid. Handed it to this guy. This guy had a stroke of conscience, which is actually not a stroke of conscience. It was Evergreen that that provoked all of this. And I said, you know, it's beautiful and Evergreen. I want you to know that you did that. That you're you're responsible for this 100% because, you know, I'm the one that took the money. And you like kind of, you were the voice of reason in this case. With that, and then the kids thing that he said before, I was like, wow, you're really on the ball today with the wisdom shit. And that's why I'm putting it in the podcast because I said I would. I think you guys should know this. So when things like that happen, that tells me something that does that I don't often see. It's a message that got delivered to me that doesn't often get delivered because people are people. The message is, is that there are people here, no matter what their appearance are, is no matter what they act like for the most part, inside of every single human being is a seed of good, a seed of kindness and a seed of hope, which is why I think we are still all here on this planet because the goodness outweighs the evil not, maybe not by much, but it definitely does. And if everyone has the potential for good, just like there's no amount of darkness that could put out one single tiny match. You can't put out a match with darkness, but you could eliminate the darkest darkness with one match. Not eliminate, but you could, you know, disrupt it, so to speak. Let the light will always have power over the dark. And I urge you to look for that in other people. And I urge you to stop using negative words when it comes to talking about other people, and more importantly, using negative words when it comes to talking about yourself. Now, I have a girl that works there um, at the bank, because that's what I do, I'm a banker. She, um, she's great, she's crazy, and she's weird, and she's just, she basically, she's, like a, she's, she's a spitting image of me, but as a girl, and like 10 years younger. And I like her for that, she's great. You know, we, like, we, we get along and we talk, and we, we're all both weird, and when the two of us talk, people just leave the room because what the fuck is going on? Because we'll go from like, hey, how you doing, to like, my butthole is really low, and I don't know why my butthole is so low. And it's like, what the fuck, how the fuck did we get here, you know? <laughs> but she told me today, she goes, people like me because I'm strange, but you're much stranger than I am. And I was like, yeah, well, I'm a little older, give yourself time. 
And then she said something along the lines of like, we're talking about astral projecting. And she was like, I can't astral project because I'm stupid. And then she said, I'm going to just kill myself. And I was like, I stopped her right there. And I, I, don't, I hate when people say shit like that, even though they don't mean it. When people use the words kill myself, it's just to me, even saying those words now, it's just kind of like ugh, gives me the heebie-jeebies. Because now you're putting out something into the universe that you don't want to be a part of your life, even though you don't mean it, even though you love yourself more than anything. The fact that you said that makes it exist on some level, somewhere, somehow. Just like an idea becomes a plan, becomes an action, becomes a law, like the airplane flying, right? Just like this could manifest itself to be real, and I really wouldn't want that, especially because all you have to do is shut the fuck up and not say it, and it would have been fine. So I told her, I was like, listen, don't say shit like that. She goes, no, I know I'm perfect. And I was like, good, keep saying that. So then she asked me a little bit about quantum physics, and then we went on and so forth. So I guess I really don't have a point to this, other than the one I already delivered. I just wanted to tell you guys a little bit about me, and how I live my life, and how I believe that if everyone thought, even if it was for five or ten minutes a day, that this world would be a better place. And if um, everyone acted the way that, oh shit, the way that Groot acted, Groot and uh, Julius. So it was Julius was the guy that paid the $20. Groot was the guy that made him the burger and handed him the money back. I was bad cop and Evergreen was Mr. Mr. Wizard, Mr. Wiseman. And you know what? I would have it no other way. I love being taught lessons. I love learning. And I love being humbled in that sense because I did take the money, but that's just because he gave it to me. I see it as business. If I ask you for money for something and you pay me, I'm not going to say it's okay, you don't, you don't have to give me the money, because then that, that business would never work, it would fail. I would give people shit away for free, and then, you know, I'd be, have no business. But Evergreen wasn't talking about it in terms of business, he was talking about it in terms of humanity. Be a human, he said. And I said, okay, you're right. And when he is, goddammit, he is. So, that's about it, I think. Thanks. I love you guys. Thank you.